Hi, it's Susan, and you're listening to the Women's Evolution Podcast, where I aim to advance gender equity one glass ceiling at a time. I speak to women who are doing an amazing job working in male-dominated professions, and also men and organizations who are looking to advance women in particular industries. I invite you to follow me on Instagram at Women's Evolution Podcast. Share this podcast, leave a review, and if you or someone you know has a great gender equity story, please reach out. Enjoy the next episode. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to the Women's Evolution Podcast. Today, we have Helene Angelis on, and she is going to talk to us about women in business careers. So hello, Helene. Thank you for joining. Susan, it is an honor to be with you today, and I'm delighted to uh, at least share my perspective over the years. I know. It, it's just kind of exciting. I know you've got some really interesting stories. So let's dig in. So when did you decide you wanted to have a career in business? Well, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm a big believer in really understanding what your core competencies are, what your needs are, and I think I was born a salesperson. <laughs> I remember being 10 years old making Christmas wreaths and going door to door in Massachusetts selling them for $5. Or in, in like in... In those days, this is back in the mid, early mid-70s, um, Columbia undergraduate was male and Barnard was female. Columbia, and then back in, in, then in the 1980s, uh, Columbia actually um, admitted women. Barnard is still all women. So by design, Barnard, they just came at Columbia. So now that was their way of sort of pre-screening who they really wanted. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So then were you the first female? I was one of the first. Okay. um, When I went through an exhaustive interview process, I think everybody, I felt like everybody in the whole company interviewed me, you know, um, when I joined in 19, late 1975, the company was 3% women in management. And wow. none in sales. So I was one of the first classes of women. Uh, yeah, so, uh, and when I left 33 years later to retire from my first career, we were 50% women. And wow. I was one of the first women at, at, at the leadership levels. You know, first associate director in 150 years one of three women who was um, promoted to an officer of the company, um, and that was in 2002. And uh, there had never been any women officers from uh, the commercial side of the business. So yeah, it was a great ride. And we were 50% women when I left. And now my mentee is running North America and my peer ran all, you know, one of the top first women, uh, she just retired. So things can change, you know, you just have to believe. So starting back in the day, was there pay equity between men and women? Do you, um, you know, we didn't have any data back then. Okay. Um, I know for a fact that it was pretty close and a lot of it at Procter & Gamble, it's like a formula. It depends on how you were evaluated and ranked so there's like a one two three and if you're a one which is the top which is only like 15 percent you know you really do well within your your band so i guess it's more of a question of how you're evaluated and 
And I will tell you, it was an evolution to get women viewed because I did a lot of work globally to help um, us become more diverse globally. And there were a lot of men who weren't even considering women back in like the early 1990s in, in countries like in the Middle East mm-hmm. and in Japan and in uh, they wouldn't even put them on the roster. So if you're not on the list for high potential, your salary won't, you know, you won't have the same as men. So I don't know if I'm answering your question as such, yeah. but it really was, um, where, you know, where were you in what I'll call the succession planning and top development candidates? You know, where, where, did we have enough women? And so is that sort of how you approached it with other countries is, you kind of talk to them about women and the advantages, or how did you go about doing that? Well, um, you know, as many of the women, hopefully, who will listen to this podcast will get this. You know, we have our day jobs, which in my case was, you know, sales and the general manager for one of our top global um, customers. Uh, at one point, it was like oh, I ran a business of three and a half billion dollars. Um, and then there was, the extra, okay. So the extra for me was helping our women's um, ERGs, uh, helping multicultural women, helping um, a lot of our minorities, and the work I did in North America internally propelled me. They asked me to lead a task force globally at the most senior level to help Dr. Gamble mm. expand that because we were doing better in North America than a lot of other countries. So yes. Um, what we did is we looked at this like a business initiative. Like if you were going to grow and try to introduce, I don't know, Tide in the Middle East, what would you do? Well, you'd set some goals, you'd set some measures, you'd, set, you'd have an action plan, you'd get the people together. That's how we approached um, developing women globally. And we went and I went with my task force of top development candidates from all over. We picked two or three from each region and many of my peers and we put together a an action plan, some goals, and a scorecard that each country had, and it was tied. the The leadership actually got extra bonus or mm-hmm. bonus reduced if they met their goals. Wow! And that was the game changer. You know, looking at it from a business perspective, yeah, and tying this achievement of these goals to. Um, individual compensation and we did that in the early 90s and um, I'm pleased to tell you that we when I was leading this task force global diversity steering team had action plans and I did like 12 global conferences for women with men men had to be there wasn't just the women Um, we moved the needle and hired 1,600 women in six years all over the world. Wow. And many of whom are now, you know, this was almost, you know, 20 years ago, many of whom are now like top leaders, like in Europe, four of the five vice presidents of sales are women. So, you know, it can happen, but you have to look at it very much from a business standpoint and manage it as you would any initiative. I love that. I love that. So the statistics on Google say that 9% of CEOs of like Fortune 1000 companies are women and 25%, so 9% are are CEOs, 25% of C-suite are women. 
Was that is that still true kind of at Procter and Gamble, even though there was a lot of this shift, or is it it is no, it different? Uh, the results there are much higher. Okay, great. So, wow. so the board is fifty percent women. Now understand, I left the AG fifteen years ago. Right. Right. Um uh, I would say the organization is like fifty fifty up to probably vice president level, mm-hmm. then it's close to like forty percent. Okay. So it's 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 definitely above that. That, wow. but you know, I talked about the internal work. But the other thing I did uh, over twenty years ago was to be a founding board member of an organization called New Network of Executive Women, which was an industry-wide group. And you know, I tried to do in the industry in the United States what I did at P and G to get like the measures, but the companies didn't want to give us the data. However. I founded an organization 10 years ago in Europe called LEAD, Leading Executives Advancing Diversity. We have a we have a scorecard, and I will tell you, we have increased the number of women at, uh, I call CEO minus three from when we started measuring um, like five years ago, we were, we were um, I think, 24%, and now we're up to 28, 29%. So we've, again, moved the needle mm-hmm. to the degree, you know, you have to look at this from a data standpoint. Um, but the challenges, Susan, are still there. Mm-hmm. You know, the unconscious bias, the fact that, um, you know, when you get to the upper echelons, everybody is super qualified. So it's a question of um, more subjective, you know, do you mm-hmm. see in this role, you know, are you able... And frankly, a lot, sometimes a women self-select out because, I mean, it is a brutal job to be a CEO. I mean, it is a tremendous commitment. And, you know, having known many CEOs, both women and men over the years, um, you know, you have to really want that and choose it in terms of uh, a career and, and how it fits into your life. Wow. Yes. You're right. Because of the, did I answer your question there? Yeah, you sure did. You know, I think this, this whole thing about unconscious bias is interesting because I I, I like what you said about when you get to the top and and you're pretty well objectively qualified, you've probably got the, the education, the experience. I sometimes find then it, it comes down to who do I think I could work better with? And sometimes Men feel, you know what, I just feel this kind of camaraderie with a man, uh, you know, and, and I think it's unconscious, um, but they think, oh, you know, I play golf with him or my friends play golf with him. And it, it, it comes down to this final decision is sometimes very subjective where we kind of look at sometimes we think, oh, well, if you try to hire based on diversity, you're hiring people who may not be as qualified. And I'm like, well, sometimes that even happens when it's men, because maybe that man might be slightly not as qualified, but he knows somebody or there's a comfort level, right? So well, all the data and the research shows that, you know, we tend to have to be friends with, we tend to choose people that we feel comfortable with, right? So because there's a comfort and the knowledge factor, which is why one of the things that we, you know, we propose in both Network of Executive Women now called Next Step. They changed their name. And lead, you know, the barriers for women are typically three. Okay. Mm-hmm. First is what I'll call the leadership confidence thing. Like, do I self-select out? You know, I always tell, I mean, the story is, you know, there's 10 qualifications for a job. 
a woman might have eight, a guy might have four, and the guy says, you know, I'm ready for the job. And the woman's like, well, I don't have two. Like, this is thing, a thing that women sort of self-sabotage or self-select out. So there's the leadership. They have it, but do they actually go for it? Mm-hmm. Second obstacle is um, what I'll call role modeling. So, again, that's tied to leadership. Like, when they look up or do they see other women doing the role that they can identify with? It's very hard if you've never seen anybody mm-hmm. do the work or that you feel comfortable with. So there's that. And then the third one, this is back to your point regarding um, comfort and knowledge, is networking. So again, women believe, okay, if I do my job and I work hard and I achieve my goals, I should get promoted. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? The, the, the model says performance, it's pie, performance, image, and exposure. Performance is 60%. But then there's the image and exposure. And this mm-hmm. is where... You know, it, it make, it, it going and becoming part of things beyond just your work group, volunteering for important projects, doing industry work, um, some sort of things beyond your day job will distinguish you. And that becomes even more important at the top because it's your reputation, your brand, your image, mm. you know, who, you rep- who, who you really are that can, you know, that can help you get to the top because it's typically a decision, not just of the boss and the boss's boss, but of other people who have say, you know, wow, do you see Susan in this role? And you need to have a lot of people who say, yeah, she can do it. Um, but if you're just focused on achieving your goals in your little world, the opportunity mm. to do that becomes very limited. You that know, makes sense? No. And that's awesome because that, that was the next question is, is what would you, what kind of advice would you give women in business who are trying to move up? And those three fit in perfectly with, with some of the things that they should look to do to make themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, um, the old adage, uh, you can, you can't have it all or or you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you know, there's like a life stage and a career stage. And at some point, I think, um, you know, I would encourage women to really do the self-reflection. You know, do you want that additional responsibility? Do you want the high profile job? And if the answer is yes, you have to plot out over the next one to five years. Okay, what are you going to do to get there? And again, to me, it's just table stakes to achieve your objectives. So... Whatever, you, whatever you're doing, you should have very clear metrics. You know, what does success look like? Can you achieve your goals? Do other people, you know, does your boss and your boss's boss really see you exceeding and achieve, achieving and exceeding your goals? And then the other part is, okay, what can you do beyond that um, to distinguish yourself in the image and exposure so that you, your, your people see you clearly as a leader? Um, and then, the, and, and the best thing to do, honestly, is to figure out what your passion is and kind of ride the passion. Now, for me, you know, I always wanted to help women ever since I hated inequality. Ever since I was a little kid, I was always kind of a troublemaker saying, Hey, this isn't right, you know, to the teachers and the principal. And so my passion was always to have equality and have everyone have a chance. So it, it was kind of interesting beyond my day job. I, I got to 
use my passion yes. within Procter and Gamble and in the industry to really help propel something that was obviously really important and still important to me. Right. Does right. that make sense? Makes sense. And thank you. I mean, that's why thank you. You made time for this podcast, right? Because you still have a great message. And that's what we're trying to do here is we're, you know, we're not only trying to give women the tools to move up, but we're trying to, um, you know, just put a spotlight on on the challenges that we still have. We've come a long way, but can we speed it up at all? Right. And especially in some companies and in, you know, some industries. So, yes. And in and, and different parts of the world. Yes. Different, true. Different challenges. Yes. Um, but I, you know, a lot of times, um, as I said, I, I can't emphasize enough the whole negative self-talk. You know, okay. we have all these podcasts, whatever, about, you know, you've got to be more confident. But I think a lot of times women and men, not all men are great at this too. We can't just say it's a woman's thing. They self-select themselves mm -hmm. out. Interesting. They convince themselves that it's not achievable or it's not possible or how could I do it as opposed to sort of, thinking about the possibilities. You know, we had all the lean-in circles. Okay, there's some debate whether that was good or bad. But the basic concept of can you do it? I mean, I think you have to choose to do it. Um, so being really uh, at peace with yourself at, at cause to understand what is it that you want to achieve in life. And it isn't always about position and money. It could be something else. It could be in the not-for-profit or, or whatever. But getting clear on that, will help propel you to the action plans you need to get there. Right. Right. That's great. And and that might lead into this dream big. <laughs> right. Why don't why don't we end on that note? What what does that sure. what does that mean to you and uh, why do you talk about it? Um you know dream big is a concept that I I like to think uh, about which is uh creating something that didn't exist before. So in my case, you know, there were no women at Procter Gamble. In my case, there never was a, you know, getting to be an officer of the company was like, oh my God, you know, can you, can I actually make that happen? Uh, starting the industry group here in the United States uh, 20 years ago, I was one of the founding board members. It's like, why can't we have an industry group that represents women? Why does it, you know, every time I go to these, Food Marketing Institute and uh, National Association of Change. It's all that. Why? So dreaming big is thinking about the possibility, thinking of asking the why not question, being okay with, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen if I try and fail? Okay, the worst thing that can happen. Like when I interviewed for P&G, okay, if they said no women to, to, we don't interview women, what was the worst thing that happened? I could go across the street and study for my exam. So sometimes it's the fear of trying mm. um, that holds us back. Um, so, you know, I love the idea of envisioning something that didn't exist and going for it. I think the, the, the organization that we um, created in Europe, lead, lead, Leading Executives Advancing Diversity, my, I had a second career after Procter & Gamble. I was a partner at Calypso. Again, when I joined with my husband, we were like $5 million in sales and we sold the business 15 years later and it's now like $150 million in sales. So, you know, dreaming big is asking the why not question and going for it. It's not easy. 
Uh, it requires um, a pretty strong constitution, but if it's a compelling vision that actually you get up every day and you get excited about, it, it's not really work, you know? Help knowing that there's so many women globally who have the capability and capacity to be leaders and helping eliminate the barriers and give them the opportunity. And that still gets me excited, you know, close to 50 years later. <laughs> no, because it's really important. Yeah. So dreaming big is um, thinking about, as I said, something truly compelling that can drive you and and using what I call the five E's, you know, you envision, you um, enable, you energize, you enroll, and you um, execute. And, you know, finding ways to do that, um, you can take the dream and actually translate the dream into action. Wow. Thank you. That is a great end to an amazing podcast. Thank you, Helene. Thank you, Susan. And I commend you for really um, working on this and helping because um, you never know when you can touch someone and you can change their lives and you're doing that. So congratulations. Thank you. That, I just think the more that we talk about it, right? There are a Absolutely. lot of us talking about it, but the more we talk about it, hopefully the faster and easier it will get for women to, to become equal in, in all industries. They can work wherever they want and they can get pay equity where they are. That's right. And they can live good lives because it isn't just about the work. It's about creating a holistic life. Yes, good. Well, yeah. thank you, Helene. I want to thank you for listening to the podcasts and spreading the word.